0: good evening today we will start with chapter five the hedgehog concept simplicity within the three circles the quote is know thyself attributed to the scribes of delphi via plato are you a hedgehog or a fox In his famous essay, The Hedgehog and the Fox, Isaiah Berlin divided the world into hedgehogs and foxes, based upon an ancient Greek parable. The the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. Alright, you've got my attention, go on. The fox is a cunning creature, able to vise a myriad of complex strategies for sneak attacks upon the hedgehog. Day in and day out, the fox circles around the hedgehog's den, waiting for the perfect moment to pounce. Fast, sleek, beautiful, fleet of foot, and crafty, the fox looks like the sure winner. The hedgehog, on the other hand, is a dowdier creature, looking like a genetic mix up between a porcupine and a small armadillo. Yeah, you know, I was about ready to defend the hedgehog, but that description is not inaccurate. He waddles along, going about his simple days, searching for lunch and taking care of his home. Do you sound adorable? The fox waits in cunning silence at the juncture in the trail. You know, this is classic just trying to pair foxes and hedgehogs against each other. They, sh- they can be working together. The hedgehog, minding his own business, wanders right into the path of the fox. Aha, I've got you now, thinks the fox. He leaps out, bounding across the ground, lightning fast. The little hedgehog, sensing danger, looks up and thinks, here we go again. Will he ever learn? Rolling up into a perfect little ball, the hedgehog becomes a sphere of sharp spikes, pointing outward in all directions. The fox, bounding toward his prey, sees the hedgehog's defense. It should be hedgehog's defense, uh, and calls off the attack. Retreating back to the forest, the fox begins to calculate a new line of attack. Each day, some version of this battle between the hedgehog and the fox takes place, and despite the greater cunning of the fox, the hedgehog always wins. <clears throat> All right, couple things. <laughs> um, I think this story is not fair to the fox. Um, because it sets it up as him being clever and all these things, Uh, but then the plan that they say he's executing is just the hedgehog walks by, and then he says, I've got you now, and he runs at him. So, I I mean, if the idea is to show that careful planning doesn't always go right, I'm sure there's plenty of great examples for that, but uh, I don't think this is a fair representation of the clever fox. Uh, Berlin extrapolated from this little parable to divide people into two basic groups. Yeah, you just fucking... Foxes and hedgehogs. Foxes pursue many ends at the same time and see uh, see the world in all its complexity. They are scattered or diffused, moving on many levels, says Berlin, never integrating their thinking into one overall concept or unifying vision hedgehogs on the other hand simplify a concept world into a single organizing idea a basic principle or concept that unifies and guides everything it doesn't matter how complex the world is a hedgehog reduces all challenges and dilemmas to simple indeed almost simplistic hedgehog ideas for a hedgehog anything does, that does not somehow relate to the hedgehog idea holds no relevance okay <clears throat> I think there's probably a lot to be learned from that However, I'm getting a feeling that the subjects we are going to tackle here, um, for the subjects we're going to tackle here, uh, I think he picked a really terrible metaphor. Um, or at least he explained the situation really poorly because there was nothing in there about the fox like thinking about all these different things. And then... Uh, it really came down to his plan was almost as simple as the hedgehog's plan to just curl up, so like I get the ultimate point that we're going to be going after, but that's a really stupid way of describing like overcomplicating things. The story did not illustrate that in any way is what I'm saying. Princeton Professor Marvin Bressler pointed out the power of the hedgehog during one of our long conversations. <laughs> The whole point is that you don't need to have a long conversation about it. You want to know what separates those who make the biggest impact from all the others who are just smart? They're hedgehogs. Freud and the unconscious, Darwin and natural selection, Marx and class struggle, (laughs) Einstein and relativity, Adam Smith and division of labor. They were all hedgehogs. They took a complex world and simplified it. Those who leave the biggest footprint, said Bresler, have thousands calling after them. Good idea, but you went too far. Again, I think that is a good point. Bad examples. uh, Einstein for instance, didn't even win the Nobel Prize based on anything to do with relativity. Uh, he definitely wasn't someone who just focused all his energy on one thing. To be clear, hedgehogs are not stupid. Yeah, we get it. Quite the contrary. Well, no, you shouldn't say it's It's not necessarily one or the other. I think is more accurate. They understand that the essence of profound insight is simplicity. What could be more simple than E equals MC squared? Um, do you understand the implications of that? What could, so stupid. What could be simpler than the idea of the unconscious organized into an id, ego, and superego? Okay, that pisses me off because I have a degree in psychology. I have since then refreshed my memory on those things multiple times and I still find it confusing. Uh, so what could be simpler? A lot of things. A lot of things. What could be more elegant than Adam Smith's pin factory and invisible hand? No, the hedgehogs aren't simpletons. They have a piercing insight that allows them to see through complexity and discern underlying patterns. Hedgehogs see what is essential and ignore the rest. What does all this talk of hedgehogs and foxes have to do with good to great? Everything. Mm, If you're gonna do that, you should have said that before you started actually explaining it. Like, at this point... You can't be like, what does all this fox stuff have to do with good to great? Like, you've already gone into that. Here's a box to decide. Those who built the good to great companies were, to one degree or another, hedgehogs. They used their hedgehog nature to drive toward what we came to call a hedgehog concept for their companies. Those who led the comparison companies tended to be foxes, never getting the clarifying advantage of a hedgehog concept, being instead scattered, diffused, and inconsistent. Um, the guy who I felt we didn't go into uh, appropriately that was a company that failed, I think Ash, the um, addressograph guy. That sounds like maybe one legitimate concern. Again, I don't know because we didn't learn very much about him. But um, it sounds like maybe he could have fit in, in this chapter. Because uh, there was, like, maybe. I don't know. I don't know where I'm getting that from, but it, that just. I felt like saying that. Consider the case of Walgreens versus Eckert. Okay, well, fuck me. Uh, Recall how Walgreens generated cumulative stock returns from the end of 75 to 2000 that exceeded the market by over 15 times, handily beating such great companies as GE. You don't just, that's it. I'm not going to read more companies that it beat. It was a remarkable performance for such an anonymous, some might even say boring, company. When interviewing Cork Walgreen, I kept asking him to go deeper, gross, to help us understand these extraordinary results. Finally, in exasperation, he said, look, it just wasn't that complicated. Once we understood the concept, we just moved straight ahead. What was the concept? Well, this guy is, I feel like this guy is the fox. The author is definitely not the hedgehog. Uh, he takes the simple, he does the opposite. He tries to simplify things but then just expands on them unnecessarily well no because that would imply he goes in like different directions when really he just draws out the same idea simply this the best most convenient drugstores with high profit per customer visit that's it that's the breakthrough strategy that walgreens used to beat to beat a bunch of companies In classic hedgehog style, Walgreens took this simple concept and implemented it with fanatical consistency. It embarked on a systematic program to replace all inconvenient locations with more convenient ones, preferably corner lots where customers could easily enter and exit from multiple directions. If a great corner location would open up just half a block away from a profitable Walgreens store in a good location, the company would close the good store, even at a cost of one million to get out of the lease, to open a great new store on the corner. Walgreens pioneered drive through pharmacies, found customers liked the idea, and built hundreds of them. In urban areas, the company clustered its stores tightly together, on the precept that no one should have to walk more than a few blocks to reach a Walgreens. In downtown San Francisco, for example, Walgreens clustered nine stores within a one-mile radius. Nine stores. If you look closely, you'll see Walgreens stores as densely packed in some cities as Starbucks coffee shops in Seattle. Walgreens then linked its convenient concept to a simple economic idea, profit per customer visit. I think I already understand what that means, but go on. Tight clustering, nine stores per mile, leads to local economies of scale, which provides the cash for more clustering. (sighs) Let's read that again. Leads to local economies of scale. Now that, I actually don't know what that means. uh, Economies of scale, like things that can be scaled up? Let's look up economies of scale. How did you know I was going to look that up? Uh, Economies of scale are the cost advantages that enterprises obtain due to their scale of operation with cost per unit of output decreasing with increasing scale. I think it just means when you have a bunch of stuff, the benefits of large scale business economies of, of scale are the cost advantage from business expansion. So like, the idea that you can order more stuff at a time and get a price break, I think is all they're saying. As some firms grow in size, their unit costs begin to fall because of purchasing economies when large businesses often receive a discount because they're buying in bulk. Okay. Got it. Um, <clears throat> I feel we could you know, just in a simple explanation in there, even if most people know what it is. Maybe take out a couple very... Uh, What I'm saying is prioritize. Um, Walgreens then linked uh, tight clustering leads to local economies of scale, which provides the cash for more clustering, which in turn draws more customers. By adding high margin services like one hour photo developing, Walgreens increased its profit per customer visit. More convenience led to more customer visits, which when multiplied times, when, when multiplied, times increased profit per customer visit, through cash back into the system to build even more convenience stores. Store by store, block by block, city by city, city, region by region, Walgreens became more and more of a hedgehog with this incredibly simple idea. Well, you are saying they're adding more stuff to it. So what is the hedgehog idea? Like, what exactly are we talking about? Just being convenient? Is that the central thing? Or is it having an economy of scale? Like, what is this incredibly simple idea? Like, is the incredibly simple idea convenience? Like, it wasn't incredibly clear for such a simple idea. I'm looking at the box that just talks about hedgehogs oh here we go what was the concept simply this the best most convenient drugstores stores with high profit per customer visit okay well that's definitely a compound fucking concept like you definitely squeezed two things into one concept but whatever that's why my name's not cork i guess in a world overrun by management faddists, brilliant visionaries, ranting futurists, fear mongers, motivational gurus, and all the rest, it's refreshing to see a company succeed so brilliantly by taking one simple concept and just doing it with excellence and imagination, becoming the best in the world at convenient drugstores, steadily increasing profit per customer visit, what could be more obvious and straightforward? Yet... <clears throat> If it was so obvious and straightforward, why didn't Eckert see it? Why Walgreens stuck only to cities where it could implement the convenience clustering concept? We found no evidence of a similarly coherent concept for growth at Eckert. Deal makers to the core, Eckert's executives compulsively leapt at opportunities to inc- to acquire clumps of stores—forty-two units here, thirty-six units there—in hodgepodge fashion with no obvious unifying theme. We want to be hedgehogs, not hodgepodges. Uh, If I had time, I would edit that out. Uh, While Walgreens executives understood that profitable growth would come by pruning away all that did not fit with the hedgehog concept, Eckerd executives lurched after growth for growth's sake. right, so they spread themselves then. I. I could say that. In the early 80s, just as Walgreens became religious about carrying out its convenience drugstore concept, Eckert threw itself into the home video market with its purchase of American Home Video Corporation. Eckert's CEO told Forbes in 81, some feel the purer we are, the better we'll be, but I want growth, and the home video industry is only emerging, unlike, say, drugstore chains. Alright, so he was 100% right about that. Um... And I don't see how that's that much different than the one-hour photo thing. but, And I think he's going to pretend that it is. But if we're really being hedgehogs, I think we should just stick to the the clumping thing. The convenience thing. And not give them shit for investing in video rentals. Because in 1981, that was about to fucking explode. Although I guess if they're buying the buildings that go with it that's different or if they're buying the leases rather you know sweet i am surprised how many businesses like lease like instead of owning a thing pretty sure mcdonald's is famous for owning the land and then like the land goes up in value around this is a, this is an interesting concept that i just happened to know uh <clears throat> that i heard like a mcdonald's ceo guy talk about is uh, the land around a McDonald's will traditionally go up in value by putting it there. So they see themselves as being somewhat in the real estate business because they'll buy, I think how it works is they'll they'll buy more than just that McDonald's. um, Or at the very least, they'll buy the McDonald's. Um, One way or another, over time, that land that it stands on, and potentially the land surrounding it as well, um, will go up in value. The land surrounding it as well will go up in value. I'm just not positive that they always buy a bunch of stuff around it, but I think that's the, the idea. Eckhart's home video foray produced $31 million in losses before Eckhart sold it to Tandy, which crowed that it got the deal for $72 million below book value. In the precise year of Eckert's home video acquisition, Walgreens and Eckert had virtually identical revenues, $1.7 billion. Ten years later, Walgreens had grown to over twice the revenues of Eckert, accumulating net profits $1 billion greater than Eckert over the decade. Twenty years later, Walgreens was going strong as one of the most sustained transformations in our study. Meanwhile, Eckert ceased to exist as an independent company. The next section, The Three Circles. The notion of a hedgehog concept originated in our research team meetings when we were trying to make sense of Walgreens' spectacular returns. Hey, boss? Have you considered if maybe, like, they're a hedgehog? Aren't we just talking about strategy, I asked? Convenient drugstores, profit per customer visit, isn't that just basic strategy? What's so interesting about that? But Ackert also had strategy, said Jenny Cooper, who analyzed the contrast between the two companies. We can't say that it's just about having strategy. They both had strategy. I feel like I'm having deja vu here. Jenny was correct in her observation. However, she was a woman, so I didn't listen to her. Uh, strategy per se did not distinguish the good to great companies from the comparison companies both sets of companies had strategic plans and there is absolutely no evidence that the good to great companies invested more time and energy in strategy development and long-range planning well yeah but you can just have smarter ideas it's hard to quantify that i understand why you wouldn't focus on it but It is nevertheless a thing, like some ideas are better than others. Okay, so are we just talking about strategy, or about good strategy versus bad strategy? Hmm, All right. Okay, you're addressing my concerns to an extent. The team sat there for a minute thinking. Then Lee Wilbanks observed... But what I find so striking is their incredible simplicity. I mean, look at Kroger with the superstar concept. Or Kimberly Clark with the move to paper-based consumer products. Or Walgreens with convenient drug stores. These were simple, simple, simple ideas. He had a point. I ignored him, too, because he's annoying. Uh, The research team members all jumped into the fray, bantering about the companies they were studying. It soon became abundantly clear that all the good-to-great companies attained a very simple concept that they used as a frame of reference for all their decisions, and this understanding coincided with breakthrough results. Meanwhile, the comparison companies like Eckert got all tripped up by their snazzy strategies for growth. Okay, I pushed back. But is simplicity enough? Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's right. Right. The world is filled with failed companies that had simple but wrong ideas. Then we decided to undertake a systematic look at the concepts that guided the good-to-great companies in contrast to the comparison companies. After a few months of sifting and sorting, considering possibilities and tossing them out, we finally came to see that the hedgehog concept in each good-to-great company wasn't just any random, simple idea. Here we come to another blue box decide. The essential strategic difference between the good-to-great and comparison companies lay in two fundamental distinctions. First, the good-to-great com- If you say anything about a bus, I'm going to lose my shit. First, the good-to-great companies founded their strategies on deep understanding along three key dimensions, what we came to call the Three Circles. Second, the good-to-great companies translated that understanding into a simple, crystalline concept that guided all their efforts, hence the term hedgehog concept. More precisely, a hedgehog concept is a simple, crystalline concept that flows from deep understanding about the intersection of the following three circles. 1. What you can be the best in the world at, and equally important, what you cannot be the best in the world at. This discerning standard goes far beyond core competence. Just because you possess a core competence doesn't necessarily mean you can be the best in the world at it. Conversely, what you can be best at might not even be something in which you are currently engaged. Hmm. That one is... I feel like... That one's really deep. Um... Well, we'll keep moving, but I'm not sure what it is, but there's something very interesting about that. Two, what drives your economic engine? All the good-to-great companies attained piercing insight into how to most effectively generate sustained and robust cash flow and profitability. In particular, they discovered the single denominator, profit per X, that had the greatest impact on their economics. It would be cash flow per X in the social sector. Um... Yeah, I'm sure he'll explain that. Uh, Number three, what you are deeply passionate about. The good to great companies focused on those activities that ignited their passion. The idea here is not to stimulate passion, but to discover what makes you passionate. I feel like this is turning into more of like a self-help book. It seems more and more applicable on an individual level. But maybe that just means it's getting better, you know. Uh, Greater truths are usually more... Um, widely applicable and here we have a graph of the three things what you're deeply passionate about what you can be the best in the world at and what drives your economic engine someone started a thread on two plus two years ago that i thought was interesting what was what do you think you could be the best in the world at if you uh, could do like one of those like not the triathlon, but the thing where, like, they have random, seemingly random things like skiing and shooting and whatever uh, in the Olympics. Like, if you could design one of those with three things that could be anything, what could you could be the best in the world at? Like, um, you know, with the assumption if you're talented, you probably could selectively weed things out based on things that wouldn't be expected of someone. Like, if you're good, well, you get the point. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting exercise. <clears throat> Three circles of the hedgehog concept. You know, I was going to try not to uh, I was trying to not just make a really like really reach for a Sonic the Hedgehog reference, but uh, with the circles and the fact that those are the things that you go after in Sonic, like the coins are clearly circles, that that is kind of funny. Um... To quickly grasp the three circles, consider the following personal analogy: Suppose you were able to construct a work life that meets the following three tests: first, you're doing, uh, you are doing work for which you have a genetic or God-given talent. and perhaps you could become one of the best in the world. I feel that if I just I feel that I was just born to be doing this in quotes: second, you're well paid for what you do. I get paid to do this. Am I dreaming? Third, you're doing work you are passionate about and absolutely love to do, enjoying the actual process for its own sake. I look forward to getting up and throwing myself into my daily work, and I really believe in what I'm doing. If you could drive toward the intersection of these three circles and translate that intersection into a simple crystalline concept that guided your life choices, then you'd have a hedgehog concept for yourself. (sighs) Great, so that's all I have to do. Whatever. Sometimes, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Uh, <laughs> which is a funny way of, pl- uh, by, by which I mean I'm going to support what he's saying. <laughs> um, sometimes things are simple, but they still are important to state. And state simply. Uh, nothing about that sounds revolutionary, but maybe maybe for someone reading it, It'll help, uh, you know, clarify their life decisions or company decisions, whatever we're talking about. Uh, Are we still talking about companies? To have a fully developed hedgehog concept, you need all three circles. If you make a lot of money doing things at which you could never be the best, you only build a successful company, not a great one. Are we going to run through all the permutations? If you become best at something, you'll never remain on top if you don't have intrinsic passion for what you're doing. Finally, you can be passionate all you want, but if you can't be the best at it, or it doesn't make economic sense, then you might have a lot of fun, but you won't produce great results. Understanding what you can and cannot be the best at. Quote, they stick with what they understand and let their abilities, not their egos, determine what they attempt. So wrote Warren Buffett about his two hundred and ninety million investment in Wells Fargo, despite his serious reservations about the banking industry. Prior to clarifying its hedgehog concept, Wells Fargo had tried to be a global bank, operating like a mini city corp, and a mediocre one at that. Then, at first under Dick Cooley and then under Carl Reichert, Wells Fargo execs began to ask themselves a piercing set of questions. What can we potentially do better than any other company? And equally important, what can we not do better than any other company? And if we can't be the best at it, then why are we doing it at all? Putting aside their egos, the Wells Fargo team pulled the plug on the vast majority of its international operations, accepting the truth that it could not be... that He put italics in weird places, but accepting that it could not be better than Citicorp and global banking. Wells Fargo then turned its attention to what it could be the best in the world at, running a bank like a business, with a focus on the western United States. That's it. That was the essence of the hedgehog concept that turned Wells Fargo from a mediocre Citicorp wannabe to one of the best-performing banks in the world. Carl Reichert, CEO of Wells Fargo at the time of transition, stands as a consummate hedgehog. While his counterparts at Bank of America went into a reaction-revolution-panic mode in response to deregulation, hiring change gurus to use sophisticated models and time-consuming encounter groups, Reichart stripped everything down to its essential simplicity. It's not space science stuff, he told us in an interview. <laughs> I think rocket science is the phrase, but uh, what we did was so simple. And we kept it simple. It was so straightforward and obvious that it sounds almost ridiculous to talk about it. The average businessman coming from a highly competitive industry with no regulations would have jumped on this like a goose on a June bug. Um, As, you know, a goose is wont to do. Uh, Reichart kept people relentlessly focused on the simple hedgehog idea, continually reminding them that there's more money to be made in modesty than Tokyo. Oops, (laughs) there's more money to be made in Modesto than Tokyo. (laughs) Those who worked with Reichart marveled at his genius for simplicity. If Carl were an Olympic diver, said one of his colleagues, he would not do a five-flip twisting thing. He would do the swan dive best in the world and do it perfectly over and over again. The Wells Fargo focus on its hedgehog concept was so intense that it became, in its executive's own words, a mantra. Throughout our interviews, Wells Fargo people echoed the same basic theme. It wasn't that complicated. We just took a hard-nosed look at what we were doing and decided to focus entirely on those few things we knew we could do better than anyone else, not getting distracted into arenas that would feed our egos and at which we could not be the best box decide this brings me to one of the most crucial points of this chapter a hedgehog concept is not a goal to be the best a strategy to be the best an intention to be the best a plan to be the best it is an understanding of what you can be the best at the distinction is absolutely crucial Every company would like to be the best at something, but few actually understand, with piercing insight and egoless clarity, what they actually have the potential to be the best at, and, just as important, what they cannot be the best at. And it is this distinction that stands as one of the primary contrasts between the good to great companies and the comparison companies. Well, it's also kind of um, a big assumption that your company can be the best in the world at something. I mean, even if you're just using that as hyperbole and, like, that's the idea of, like, unifying your stuff. Uh, Anyway. Consider the contrast between Abbott Laboratories and Upjohn. I guess I will. In 1964, the two companies were most identical in terms of revenues, profits, and product lines. Uh, Almost identical. Both companies had the bulk of their business in pharmaceuticals, principally antibiotics. Both companies had family management, Both companies lagged behind the rest of the pharmaceutical industry. But then, in 74, Abbott had a breakthrough in performance, producing cumulative returns of four times the market and 5.5 times Upjohn over the next 15 years. One crucial difference between the two companies is that Abbott developed a hedgehog concept based on what it could be the best at, and Upjohn did not. What's Upjohn? Well, not much, just reading. Um, yeah... I'm not going to take that out. Um, Abbott began by confronting the brutal facts. By 1964, Abbott had lost the opportunity to become the best pharmaceutical company. While Abbott had drowsily lumbered along in the 40s and 50s, living off its cash cow, urethromycin, companies like Merck had built research engines that rivaled Harvard and Berkeley. Uh, by 64, George Kane and his Abbott team realized that Merck and others had such a huge research lead that trying to be the best pharmaceutical company would be like a high school football team trying to take on the Dallas Cowboys boys (sighs) your similes bore me uh even though Abbott's entire history lay in pharmaceuticals becoming the best pharmaceutical company was no longer a viable option you so clear you've made that so clear like so, guided by a level 5 leader and tapping into the face side of the Stockdale Paradox, there must be a way for us to prevail as a great company, and we will find it. The Abbott team sought to understand what it could be the best at. Around 1967, a key insight emerged. We've lost the chance... Jesus Christ. We've lost the chance to be the best pharmaceutical company, but we have an opportunity to excel at creating products that contribute to cost-effective health care. Abbott had experimented with hospital nutritional products designed to help patients quickly regain their strength after surgery, and diagnostic devices, one of the primary ways to reduce healthcare care costs is through proper diagnosis. Abbott eventually became the number one company in both these arenas, which moved it far down the path of becoming the best company in the world at creating products that make health care more cost-effective. Upjohn never confronted the same brutal reality and continued to live with the delusion that it could beat Merck. Later, when it fell even further behind the pharmaceutical leaders, it diversified into arenas where it definitely could not be the best, such as plastics and chemicals. Ew. As Upjohn fell even further behind, it returned to a focus on ethical drugs, yet never confronted the fact that it was just too small to win the big stakes pharmaceutical game. Uh, I mean, look, I could have told you that the ethical (laughs) you get the I don't need to say the joke you get it ethical drugs not gonna make money um not in America despite consistently spending nearly twice the percentage of sales on R&D that's research and development as Abbott up John profits dwindled to less than half of those of Abbott before being acquired in 1995 Here's a box. The Abbott versus Upjohn case highlights the difference between a core business and a hedgehog concept. Just because something is your core business, just because you've been doing it for years or perhaps even decades, does not necessarily mean you can be the best in the world at it. And if you cannot be the best in the world at your core business, then your core business cannot form the basis of your hedgehog concept. Clearly, a hedgehog concept is not the same as a core competence. Wow, I might literally shoot myself if I have to read that again. Uh, You can have competence at something, but not necessarily have the potential to be the best in the world at it. Are you going to give an example of how you can be competent without being the best in the world? Because literally everyone can understand that. To use an analogy, consider the young person who gets straight A's in high school calculus and scores high on the math part of the SAT, demonstrating a core competence in math. Does that mean the person should become a mathematician? Not necessarily. Suppose now that this young person goes off to college, enrolls in math courses, and continues to earn A's, yet encounters people who are genetically encoded for math. As one such student said after this experience, it would take me three hours to finish the final. Then there were those who finished the same final in 30 minutes and earned an A+. Their brains are just wired differently. I could be a very competent mathematician, but I soon realized I could never be one of the best. That young person might still get pressure from parents and friends to continue with math saying, but you're so good at it. Just like our young person, many people have been pulled or have fallen into careers where they can never attain complete mastery and fulfillment, suffering from the curse of competence, but lacking a clear hedgehog concept that rarely becomes great at what they do. Okay. So we are fully moving into like self-help stuff now. Um, Nevertheless, it's not bad advice. The hedgehog concept requires a severe standard of excellence. It's not just about building on strength and competence, but about understanding what your organization truly has the potential to be the very best at and sticking to it. Like Upjohn, the comparison companies stuck to businesses at which they were good, but could never be the best, or worse, launched off in pursuit of easy growth and profits in arenas they had no hope of being the best. They made money but never became great. To go from good to great requires transcending the curse of competence. It requires the discipline to say, just because we are good at it, just because we're making money and generating growth, doesn't necessarily mean we can become the best at it. The good to great company has understood that doing what you are good at will only make you good. Focusing solely on what you can potentially do better than any other organization is the only path to greatness Every good-to-great company eventually gained deep understanding of this principle and pinned their futures on allocating resources to those few arenas where they could potentially be the best. See the table below. The comparison companies rarely attain this understanding. The good-to-great companies and the best in the world at Circle of the Hedgehog Concept. This table shows the understanding the good-to-great companies attained that formed the foundation of their shift from good-to-great. Note, this list does not show what the companies were already best in the world at when they began their transitions. Most of these companies weren't the best at anything. Rather, it shows what they came to understand they could become best in the world at. Abbott Laboratories could become the best at creating a product portfolio that lowers the cost of healthcare. Notes Abbott confronted the reality that it could not become the best pharmaceutical company in the world, despite the fact that pharmaceuticals at the time accounted for 99% of its revenues. It shifted its focus to creating a portfolio of products that contribute to lower cost healthcare, principally hospital nutritionals, diagnostics, and hospital supplies. Circuit City could become the best at implementing the 4S model service selection, savings, satisfaction, applied to big ticket consumer sales. Notes. Circuit City saw it could become the McDonald's of big-ticket retailing, able to operate a geographically dispersed system by remote control. Its distinction lay not in the 4S model per se, but in the consistent superior execution of the model. Fannie Mae could become the best capital markets player in anything that pertains to mortgages. Notes they were too big to fail Uh, the critical insight was to see one that it could be a full capital markets player as good as any on wall street and two that it could develop a unique capability to assess risk in mortgage related securities gillette could become the best at building premier global brands of daily necessities that require sophisticated manufacturing technology notes gillette saw that it had an unusual combination of two very different skills. One, the ability to manufacture billions of low-cost, super-high-tolerance products, example razors, and two, the ability to build global consumer brands, the coke of blades or toothbrushes. Why does it have that ability? Why does it get to be the coke of blades or toothbrushes? Whatever. Kimberly-Clark could become the best in the world at paper-based consumer products. Notes, Kimberly Clark realized that it had a latent skill at creating category-killer brands. Brands where the name of the product is synonymous with the name of the category. Example, Kleenex in paper-based products. Oh, that's interesting. You didn't talk about that before. That's actually really interesting. But that's it? I'm almost positive we didn't talk about that. Maybe we will later, but how did they... It had a latent skill at creating category killer brands. Brands were the name... That's so... That's like hinting at something cool and then just like being so vague. Kroger could become the best at innovative super combo stores. Notes. Kroger always had a strength in grocery store innovation. It took this skill and applied it to the question of how to create a combination store with many innovative high margin mini stores under one roof. Nucor could become the best at harnessing culture and technology to produce a low cost steel. Notes, Nucor came to see that it had tremendous skill in two activities. One, creating a performance culture, and two, making farsighted bets on new manufacturing technologies. By combining these two, it was able to become the lowest-cost steel producer in the United States. (sighs) (sighs) Philip Morris could become the best in the world (laughs) at building brand loyalty in cigarettes and later other consumables. Notes, early in transition, Philip Morris saw that it could become simply the best tobacco company in the world. Later, it began to diversify into non-tobacco arenas, a step taken by all tobacco companies as a defensive measure, but stayed close to its brand-building strengths in sinful products, beer, tobacco, chocolate, coffee, and food products. We're really good at the sin stuff. I mean, I like all the rest of those things, so. Pitney Bowes could become the best in the world at messaging that requires sophisticated back-office equipment. I don't even really know what that means, but I have a feeling whatever it's describing, it's irrelevant in 2018. Uh, notes, as Pitney wrestled with the question of how to evolve beyond postage meters, it had two key insights about its strengths. One, that it was not a postage company, but could have a broader definition, messaging. And two, that it had particular strength in supplying the back rooms with sophisticated machines. Walgreens. Walgreens could become the best at convenient drugstores. Notes, Walgreens saw that it was not just a drugstore, but also a convenience store. It began systematically seeking the best sites for convenience, clustering many stores within a small radius and pioneering drive through pharmacies. It also made extensive investments in technology, including recent website developments, linking Walgreens stores worldwide to create one giant corner pharmacy. And finally, Wells Fargo could become the best at running a bank like a business with a focus on the western United States. I swear we could have I swear we did this one. Notes. Wells came to two essential insights. First, most banks thought of themselves as banks, acted like banks had protected the banker culture. Wells saw itself as a business that happened to be in banking. Run it like a business and run it like you own it became mantras. Second, Wells recognized that it could not be the best in the world as a super global, global bank, but that it could be the best in the Western United States. Table Summary. A table titled, The Good to Great Companies and the Best in the World at Circle at the Hedgehog Concept is shown. The table shows what the Abbott Laboratories, Circuit City, and Fannie Mae were already the best in the world at when they began their transition. Abbott Laboratories became best by offering a low-cost portfolio of healthcare. Circuit City became best at implementing the— We just did this! implementing the 4s model fannie mae became the best as the player in capital markets pertaining to mortgages a table shows what the you know what fuck this i'm just reading through it but no it's it's literally just summarizing that it's summarizing a summary a table is a summary of the thing that i mean it doesn't have to be this table is a summary of the things that were already said which we're probably already said anyway, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And now we have a summary of the table. Therefore, a summary of a summary, potentially of a summary. So I will not engage in that. I'm taking a goddamn break and we'll start again.